promised to be with you. Amen. He didn't say you wouldn't face difficulties. Never promised that. But he did say that you never ever had to face them alone as a child of God. Remember when Jesus came walking on the water to the disciples and uh, he calmed the storm but before he ever did that he said, it is I be not afraid. You see, the reason for them to not be afraid wasn't because the storm was going to stop. It wasn't because they'd all talk about it later and it'd be a wonderful memory. The reason to not be afraid is because Jesus was there. And when he's there, you don't ever have to be afraid.
the depths of your generosity, the riches of your mercy, the wonders of your grace, and my voice cries out in endless praise, you have been good, you have been good, more than I could ever dream you would, you have been good, you have been good. church and uh, I'm looking forward to Sunday that'll be here before you know it amen so you plan to be here all day tomorrow what time does everything start in the morning Sunday school at 9 45 and then the morning service and then a nap and then the evening service and you come and uh, the nap is on your own time so you do that wherever you need to do that but then you come back and we are going to have a wonderful, wonderful day tomorrow. Amen? What a good God we have. Take your Bible and turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter number 5. We're going to start there, but then we're going to move elsewhere. So go ahead and turn to Ephesians, chapter 5, and stand with me, if you would, while we look at the Word of God. I'm not going to keep you late tonight. At least it's not my intention to keep you late. But actually, my throat is feeling pretty good, and so you just never know what might happen. Amen? Ephesians chapter 5, look if you would at verse 1. Be therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Verse 8. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, verse 10, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. Verse 17, wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. 
And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that we can be here tonight. Thank you that no matter what happens and no matter where we are in our lives, we can boldly stand and say that God is good and we can mean it with all of our heart because we know it's always true. Lord, I pray tonight that as we look into your word, we would have in our heart the desire to be followers of God more so than ever before. And Lord, as we look at principles from your word, I pray that you would help us to apply them to our lives honestly and with all sincerity, so that we can please and honor you to the best of our ability. We'll thank you and praise you for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. We've gone over these verses in Ephesians chapter 5 for several nights in a row and talked about the main idea being verse number 1, be therefore followers of God as dear children. And I've said it over and over and over again. That really is the crux of the whole matter. Because if you sincerely want to follow God, then you will submit yourself to what the Word of God has to say. If you don't want to follow God, then you'll find excuses and you'll explain it away and you'll do all manner of things. Just ignore it outright because you don't want to follow it. And so I hope tonight that the desire of your heart is indeed to be a follower of God. Because once you've settled that, then everything else falls into place rather easily. It really does. Then when you come across something in the Word of God, if your heart is turned toward Him and you want to follow Him, and the, the Spirit of God illuminates the Word of God and you see it there, it's an easy thing to surrender. Really is. Listen, you don't, you don't have to beat people over the head about tithing and mission giving and all that kind of stuff once they've decided they just want to follow God. You don't have to. You don't have to follow people around and say you should wear that and you shouldn't wear that if they've decided they want to follow God. It's true. You see, once you decide, I'm going to be a follower of God, then you become sensitive to the leading of the Spirit of God, and He makes those changes and corrections in your life. And it's not a, a hard thing. It's an enjoyable thing. It's, it's called the Christian life. Amen? And it's an enjoyable thing when you surrender an area of your life and you see God bless that and, and you see what comes from it, and it just it gets gooder and gooder as it goes. And we said last night, an element that you cannot do without is what's in verses 18, 19, 20, and 21. You have to have the Holy Spirit of God. Without the Holy Spirit of God to lead you into truth. Jesus said when he comes, he'll guide you into all truth. And without the Spirit of God to lead you through the Word of God and the truth of the Word of God, you'll always just come up with a confused mess. You really will. And so you need the Spirit of God. You need to be filled with the Spirit of God. And tonight I want you to turn over, if you would, to Psalm 100. <clears throat> Psalm 100. Psalm 100 is one of my favorite psalms. It really is. It's, and, and the more I read it, the more I like it. I just do. 
It's a short little psalm, but it is so full of wonderful truth. Look at verse 1. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. But look at verse 3. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. Now tonight, I, I want to I give you a truth that will help you. And not only is it a truth, but it's a Bible principle that we can judge things in our lives by. And it's right here in verse number three. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Now, the easiest way to sum up that verse is just like this. God is God, and you're not. That's what that's all about right there. God is God, you're not. He made you, you didn't. Amen? He sustains you, you don't. Amen? Hey, listen, everything that you have is because of the goodness and mercy of God. Every breath you take is the goodness and mercy of Almighty God. Everything. He made you. He sustains you. He's, he's God. You're not. And if you can settle that in your heart and mind, it will help you in your Christian life. It really will. Quite often when we get into trouble is when we start thinking that we have more responsibility for things than we do. And we get more credit for things than we ought to. When in reality, if there's anything of lasting value that comes from your life, it'll be because God did it. It will be. And if they, and if they lay your body out here one day and, and everybody stands up and says nice things about you, Lord willing, lest they let your family talk, you know, then they'll say nice things about you. If it was, if it was all about you, then you just wasted your life. You wasted your life. Total waste. It doesn't matter how much stuff you had. It doesn't matter how well known you were. It doesn't matter whatever else happened. If your life was all about you, you threw it away. Especially as a child of God. Your life shouldn't be about you. It should be about the Savior. Amen? Here's the Bible principle. Everything in my life should reflect... Who's in charge of my life? We used to have a, a, a man in, in my home church in Fairbanks. <clears throat> when I first went there, uh, he, was, he was there, and uh, he was there for years. And he, he had family, but they had all, they'd all just disregarded him when he got serious about living for God. And, and by this time, he was an elderly man, and, and his kids still had nothing to do with him, and and they were living their lives, and they really didn't care what happened to him. And uh, it, it was very sad, but he was not a sad man. He was a happy man. His name was Gordon Chapel. That was his name. And he lived in a little room. He didn't have an apartment. He lived in a, a room in a boarding house downtown in Fairbanks. And, and he had it packed with stuff. If you've ever seen any of those hoarder programs, that's how this man lived. There was a path through this little room. And that's where he lived. But the truth is, he didn't spend much time there. All he did was store his stuff there and sleep there. He spent most of his time 
walking the streets of Fairbanks witnessing to people or down at the jail witnessing to people in the jail. He spent hours every day sitting in the jail, uh, visiting with inmates and witnessing to these inmates and leading them to the Lord. That's what Gordon did. And when he wasn't doing that, he was he never had a car. He walked everywhere he had to go. And he'd walk to church. Now, that sounds all nice and warm fuzzy uh, until you do it in Fairbanks. And you have winter for eight or nine months of the year. And it's very, very cold. And he had this massive coat. I mean, this great big coat with big pockets. He had a Bible this big. And it fit in one of the pockets of this coat. And you'd see him with his big boots and his big coat all pulled up, uh, trudging down the sidewalk. And, and, and Pete, we tried to catch him and give him a ride to church. He, you know, he just, he was of the sort that he wouldn't let you arrange to pick him up. He was going to start walking and then we just had to find him so he didn't freeze to death and bring him to church. And then you could take him home and, or take him out to eat or whatever. And, and you know what he always, always, always. People would say, well, don't you, don't you want to live in a better place? We tried, the church as a whole, tried to put him in an apartment. We decided we were going to put Gordon in an apartment and we were going to pay the rent and everything. And he refused, absolutely refused. And he said what he always said, no matter what you asked him about. He said, who's running my life anyway? Doesn't matter what, Gordon, can I, can I get you some food? Or, who's running my life anyway? That's what he would say. You know who was? God was. You know what he was always saying? God's going to take care of me. God will take care of me. You want to feed me? I'll take it. But God's going to take care of me. Amen? <laughs> he never turned down a hamburger. He never did. But he knew God was going to take care of him. And finally, he was, he was uh, I guess he was probably about 86 or 87 when he went on to heaven. Everybody loved Gordon, but he made it very clear who was in charge of his life. You know what everything in our life ought to show? It ought to show who's in charge. If people watch your life and they get the idea that you've done a really good job of figuring out your life, well, then you just blew it. You just blew it. But if they watch your life and they think there's something going on there beyond this guy, I, I don't think he could figure this out. And look how it's turning out. Every year when I, I take my taxes into the tax lady, and, and I don't do it out of patriotism. <laughs> don't pretend you do either. I do it because I don't want to get picked up and hauled to jail. Amen? And I fill it out the best I can. I, I, I am so diligent in trying to make sure I get everything right. I want it to be right. As a matter of fact, if there's any, any potential for error at all, I'd rather overpay than find out I owe a whole bunch of fines and fees and all that. And so I, I probably overpay. I pro well, I know I overpay, but I, I, I probably pay more than I technically would have to. But I, my, uh, my sister-in-law did my taxes for me one year before I started going to the tax lady. And she said, how much comes in in cash? She was asking about selling of CDs and things. 
I said, well, I don't really keep that separate from what comes in checks. And uh, she said, well, if you can tell me how much comes in cash, we don't have to count that. I said, really? She said, yeah, they'll never know. I thought, oh, why'd you have to say that? I thought maybe you just don't have to count it if it's cash. You know? I said, no, no, we have, to, we have to put the whole thing on the line. She said, it's going to cost you money. I said, well, then it's going to cost me money. Because they didn't ask how much came in in checks. They asked how much came in. And so we got to put that on the line. And she said, okay, all right, put it on the line. And it cost me money. <laughs> it did. But you see, I want her to know who's in charge of my life. Who's, who's making the decisions? Who's running things? And, and, and it's not, I'm not going to cheat as much as I'd like to. not going to cheat. Don't pretend you wouldn't like to. But I want my lost sister-in-law to know that it's not me in charge of my life. It's him in charge of my life. Amen? Amen. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Now, they tell me that sheep are not really that bright, but that's a whole different message. God does call us sheep over and over in the Bible, so don't take offense at that. I didn't make that up. That's in your Bible. But you know, you know what a sheep has to do to have a really good life? Just follow the shepherd. That's all he has to do. He, he doesn't have to figure out where to eat. The shepherd will take him there. He doesn't have to figure out who's going to take care of him if he starts to get sick. Shepherd's going to do that. He doesn't have to wonder what's going to happen if a wolf shows up late at night. The shepherd's going to handle that. All he has to do is follow that shepherd. And everything will be taken care of. That sounds a little bit like Ephesians 5, verse number 1, doesn't it? Be therefore followers of God as dear children. In other words, just trust him, just follow him, and he'll take care of all the other stuff. Everything in my life. Listen, if there's something in my life that doesn't reflect that he's in charge and he's in control, then I better take stock of that and see if I need to put that out. See what that's doing. To the testimony of God. I was going to say to my testimony. But really the important thing is not my testimony. It's the testimony of God. You see. If, if, uh, if people get to know me. And they think less of my God. I've failed. But if they get to know me. And they think more highly of my God. Then I've been successful. You see, it all comes down to who's in control of your life. Who is it? And I promise you, if you take control, you'll mess it up. But if you let him have control, it'll be better than you ever imagined it could be. It really will. So there's a Bible principle there in that little verse. Yes, it's God that made us. It's God that created us. It's God that sustains us. It's God that redeemed us through the blood of his dear son on the cross of Calvary. 
and he deserves to be in charge. He deserves to be the one that our life is all about. So everything in my life ought to reflect that he is indeed in control. Listen, your neighbors know that there's something unique about you. They do, or they should. They know that every Sunday morning at the same time, your car pulls out of the driveway and it's gone till afternoon. And then every Sunday night, it pulls out again and it's gone till dark. And then every Wednesday night, it pulls out <coughs> and it's gone. Isn't that something? Or at least it should be. You know what they know about you? They know they're those church people. I mean, they seem nice and everything, but there's probably something weird there because they're those church people. And they go a lot. They go twice on Sunday. They go in the middle of the week. Sometimes they go every night. It's just a little strange. And they do think that's strange. You do understand that we're one of the few groups left who even have Sunday night services, let alone Wednesday night services. Most folks dropped the midweek stuff a long, long time ago, and most everybody has dropped the evening stuff, which is a terrible shame. If I was going to drop something, it'd be Sunday morning. <laughs> Just being honest with you. <laughs> People are cranky on Sunday morning. They don't sing well and they don't smile good. I'd, I'd just have Sunday night. Amen. It's been my favorite service ever since I was a little kid. But that's what they drop. Sunday night, Wednesday night. Listen, they know something's going on. You know what they know? Somebody's in charge of your life. And it's not the, the boat on the weekend and it's not the cookout. Uh, and it's not the, they know it's the same thing always and it's that church stuff. And they may not know all the ins and outs of it, but what it comes down to is that they know that God is in control. And you've given over what you might want to do for what he wants you to do. And that's a good Bible principle to follow. Because when you violate that principle, it'll mess up your life. When you start saying what I want is more important than what God wants me to do, all of a sudden, you've left yourself open for all kinds of disaster to move in. You really have. Bible principles are important. They can guide your direction and they can answer the questions you might have. So you come to something and you say, well, should I be involved in that? Well, if the answer is, well, then I can't be at church. Does it fit within the Bible principles? I'm not going to tell you. You're going to have to guess. And the truth is, if you want to be a follower of God, you already know the answer. Amen? Oh, I know there's some weird things and some shifts, and I, I understand. I, and, and trust me, God understands as well. He does. I know there's some jobs that take you away and there's some jobs where you, things change from week to week and all that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when you sign up for something where you can't be in church anymore. You better take a second look at that. Because something's not quite right. And it's showing that maybe God's not in charge. Maybe you've kind of taken over. 
And listen, God didn't like it in, in the Old Testament when his people would let somebody else be their God. You know, when they'd worship Baal or they'd worship some other false god, God really looked poorly on that. Uh, he didn't appreciate that at all. I'll just be honest with you. You're no better substitute for God than Baal was. And God won't appreciate that either. If you take over, he wants to be in charge. Amen. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Let me give you the next 33. Some of them won't take that long. Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Lord willing, tomorrow we're going to look at some things in Philippians. And uh, there's some wonderful principles there that we're going to see tomorrow that I think you just, you're going to be really excited about. Philippians chapter 4. Look, if you would, at verse 8. This is a familiar passage to you. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true... Whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. That's wonderful instruction. It's also a wonderful Bible principle where God says, I want you to think about things that are true and honest and just and pure and lovely and of good report. Here's the Bible principle summed up for you. If something I'm going to be engaged in in my life, it doesn't matter what it is, you can fill in the blank with anything. Somewhere I go, something I do, something I watch, some, whatever, it doesn't really matter. You fill in the blank. Does it direct my thoughts toward godliness or worldliness? It says, I want you to think about things that are True and honest and just and pure and lovely and things that are of good report. Think about those things that are good and true and pure. Well, where are you going to find those things? <laughs> your, your options are limited. It's probably not going to be on the TV screen. I mean, you might, you might get lucky every once in a while, but most of it's not going to be. It's probably not going to be on the local radio station. That's probably not where you, it's probably not going to be the, the magazines that come and, the, and all the, the stuff that pops up on your news feed. And where are you going to have to go to find things that are true and honest and pure and lovely and of good report? Well, the best place I know of is to go to that book right there, the Bible. Because that will turn your thoughts toward the right things. Most of the stuff out there tonight will turn your thoughts toward the wrong things. Well, does that mean I have to go live in a monastery somewhere? No, 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 uh -uh. no, not at all. You just need to make sure that whatever else you're putting in is secondary to what you're putting in from right there. Listen, if you're spending five, six hours a day filling your mind with whatever, well, then you probably should spend several hours in there. Because you've got to clean it out somehow. You've got to wash it out. 
You know, when, when the vessel gets filled with gunk, you got to wash it out. And the only way to do that is with things that are pure and honest and just and true. And those come from the Word of God. See, that's why, that's why when we preach to, to, to young people, we spend so much time preaching about entertainment kind of things. You know, music and television and movies and yeah, all that kind of stuff. Because all of those things, as innocent as they may seem, they all turn your thoughts in a direction. They do. If they're well done, they turn your thoughts. That's what they're supposed to do. Listen, if you, if you read a really good book, you know how you know it's a really good book? It captures your thinking so that when you put it down, you're still thinking about it. And you're still in there, and you, and you still see the scenery, and you still know the characters, and, and you're still thinking about it later. And that was a really good book. You, you watch some kind of film or some kind of program, and it does that to you, and it just it drags you right in there, and, and it's got you, and, and you're still thinking about it the next day. That means it was really well done. You hear a song that sticks in your brain forever. You had those? Yeah. You know what it did? It grabbed a hold of something in there, and it's not letting go. There are songs in your hymnal that'll do that because they're really great songs. That's why I, I'm always hesitant to, to throw away our, our wonderful songs from our hymnal and get on board with these repetitive fluff songs because they don't do that. They don't grab your heart and hang on to it. Listen, the songs out of that hymnal do. They really do. They'll remind you of things God did in your life. They'll turn your thoughts toward the things God is doing. And, and I mean, it'll, it'll, it'll get a hold of you because they're really well-written songs. Listen, no matter who writes it and what their purpose is, if it's well done, it'll grab you and move your thoughts in a direction. It can either move it toward the things of God or it can move it away from the things of God. That's why it's so dangerous to fill your mind without even thinking with the stuff the world is producing because it's going to move your thoughts. Have you ever been walking through Walmart and music is playing? And, and it's a song from way back when. And you find yourself humming along, whistling the tune, and then you realize that is completely ungodly. What I was just singing along to. Well, that's happened to me plenty of times. Plenty of times. For some reason, we were, we were eating tonight, having a wonderful time, because eating is always wonderful. And they were playing songs from the 70s. And they were loud. And they were catching my attention. And I'm trying to have intelligent conversation. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I'm being sucked into this. My brain is being sucked away by this stuff I quit listening to 30 years ago. Because it's still there, amen? It's still there. It's just hanging right on. Listen, you ought to fill your mind with the kind of stuff that's going to draw your thoughts back to the things of God. So that when you hear that song... I don't know. Victory in Jesus. 
it reminds you of something God did in your life. When, when you hear, you know, uh, sheltered in the arms of God, you think, I'm so glad I'm sheltered in the arms of God. Because I sure needed that then, and then, and then. And I'm going to need that again next week. Listen, if you fill your heart and mind with things that are true and honest and just and pure and lovely, it'll help you down the road. And if you don't, it'll hurt you down the road. It really will. I wish, Brother Brown, there was a way to go back. You know how they're doing a trial and they say, strike that from the record. And they just wipe it out and it never existed. It's gone. I wish there was a way to do that with your brain. I wish I could go back and say, okay, strike that and that and that. And those years, strike those. Everything I saw that year, wipe that out. Everything I listened to that year, wipe that out. Because those things come back when I don't want them to. And they don't take my thoughts in the direction of godliness. They take my thoughts the other direction. And I don't want to do that. I want to be a follower of God. Amen? And so the Bible principle is, if there's something in my life that's taking my thoughts in the wrong direction, away from that which is true and honest and just and pure and lovely and of good report, I should probably voluntarily remove it from my life. Does that mean, does that, mean that, that I don't like it? Can I be honest with you? I, I mentioned to you the other night, I, I grew up listening to the world's music. I, I really did. And I listened to it because I liked it. I liked it. Can I be honest with you? I still do. Listen, the, when I started burning those records years ago, I didn't say, oh, I, I hate this stuff so bad. It's awful. It just, it just makes me sick when I hear it. No, it doesn't make me sick. It makes my, my mind go, whoa, that's fun. That's what it does. But I don't want my mind to do that for the wrong things. I want it to do that for the right things. And so, even though I still like those things, it appeals to me. I put it away. Amen? On purpose. So, but I just love it so much. That's really not the question. The question is not if you love it or not. The question, remember we said last night, nothing should have control over me but the Spirit of God. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Bible principle. Yeah, could I, could I go back and just listen to that stuff all the time? Yeah, I could. A lot of saved people do nowadays. They do. But just because somebody else does it doesn't mean I should do it. Because I know it grieve the Spirit of God. And I want to be a follower of God. Amen? So I'm going to voluntarily just put that stuff away. And not listen to it. I'm smiling at you because you can't get mad at me if I smile at you. Amen? Amen. You see, the Bible principle is there that everything I do and everything I'm involved in, it's supposed to take my thoughts in the right direction. And if it's taking them in the wrong direction, then it's violating a principle 
from the Word of God. Let me give you one more for tonight, and then we'll do the other 31 tomorrow. 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doth the will of God abideth forever. That's not an unfamiliar passage to you, I know. But let me condense it into a Bible principle for you. Whatever it is that I have a question about, whether it's music or something I'm watching or reading or, or how I'm going to dress or where I'm going to go or who I'm going to spend my time with, it should not foster a love for worldliness in my life. Did you get that? It shouldn't foster a love for worldliness. It's very similar to Philippians chapter 4, verse number 8. But instead of just the thought and keeping our thoughts in the right direction, it's a little different emphasis. Whatever I'm going to do shouldn't make me increase in my desire to be like the world. It should make me increase in my desire to be like God. To be transformed into the image of His Son. <coughs> you see, all too often, we get focused in on, again, what I can do because I'm free in Christ and I'm saved and I can't lose my salvation. Therefore, I can do this and I can do that and I can do the other thing. And yet that's just the opposite of the way God puts it. You see, our, our goal should not be, again, to be how much we can get away with and still have people think we're a Christian. It should be to be followers of God as dear children. God tells us not to love the world, neither the things that are in the world. Now, you might say, well, that's a contradiction. In John chapter 3, verse number 16, it says, For God so loved the world, and then he says, don't love the world. I, I hope you understand those are not the same thing. It said, for God so loved the world, it's talking about the people, the souls, the ones that Jesus Christ loved enough to die for. Amen? When it's talking about the world here, it's not talking about that. It's talking about that world system that is opposed to God and the things of God. The world, worldliness, that which is opposed to God. And so he says, don't love that. Don't be pulled in by that. In, in John chapter 15, Jesus said, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. Don't waste your time as a child of God trying to impress the world and have them love you. Because if you're an accurate representative of the Lord Jesus Christ, they won't love you any more than they loved him. And if they do, something's wrong. Something's terribly, terribly wrong. Romans chapter 12, verse number 2 
says, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, isn't that interesting? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? That ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That sounds an awful lot like Ephesians chapter 5, doesn't it? Verse number 10. Proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. Sounds very similar. Almost like the same author. Amen? If what we're involved in makes us more like the world instead of more like Christ, then we should put it out of our life. We were in a, a church long, long ago, far, far away. And uh, it, was, it was the first time we'd been there. The, the pastor was a man who'd been in another church that we've been to many times. As a matter of fact, we were just there a little while ago. Good church, good folks. And he was out of that church. And, and then he took this other church and he called me one day. He said, Brother Rogers, I'm pastoring this church and I would love for you to come. And, and do you have anything at all open? And we had a Sunday open and it was only a couple hours from the house. I said, we could do that because we got that Sunday free and it's only a couple hours away and we can do it. He said, that's great. That's wonderful. So we went. I was a little... Uh, Confused, a couple days before we got there, uh, the, the music, uh, that's, uh, that's the way he introduced himself, the music pastor called me. I'm not really sure why music needs a pastor, but it did, and so they had one for it. And, and he said, said, Brother Rogers, I understand you play and sing. He said, uh, I, I stand and play the keyboard as I'm leading worship. And yeah, that's all fine and good, but little bells are going off in my head because the terminology just wasn't what we normally use. And, and he said, now, if you're comfortable standing while you play and sing, uh, that'll be fine. If you'd rather have me get a bench and lower the, the, the keyboard, I, I can do that. I said, I really would appreciate it if you would lower the keyboard and get me a bench. Now, I can stand up and play. The problem is when you're using a pedal, a sustain pedal, that takes up one foot while you're standing and playing. And what that means is you're really standing on one leg. And I'm too old to be standing on one leg. I will fall and hurt myself. And so I said, you know, just for our own safety, I need a bench, lower it down. And he said, okay, I'll do that. And so he did. We got there and the bench was there and the... The keyboard was lowered down, and, and, and we got there, and things just, they just felt weird. You know, sometimes you just don't feel comfortable. And we got there, and they were very nice people, and, but Sunday school was just a little weird. And, and we made it through that, and, and that was awkward. And, and then the morning service came, and I thought, now everything's just going to even out, and all is going to be well. And then the praise team got up. That was weird because it was a 75-year-old man and a couple of 13-year-old girls, and, and they were awful. They were really bad. I, I don't know who they were trying to impress, but it didn't work. It was really bad. I mean, if you're going to go that route, at least do it well. 
and they didn't do it well. It was, it was just awful. The whole thing was awful. And it just went downhill. And finally, they were done doing what they were doing. And it was my turn. And we got to sing a couple of songs. And that helped me a whole lot. <laughs> it just helped me. And then I got up and preached. And, and we had a fine service. And, 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 and a little lady shook my hand at the back. And she said, I have been to church today. I thought, well, praise the Lord. Maybe God sent us here for this one little old lady, and now she can die happy. Amen? That's, that's just what I was thinking. And I thought, well, and it was an anniversary thing, and then they had a meal, and then everybody just went home. I thought, well, we did it. We're done. That's, that's it. And we got ready to go, and he said, Brother Rogers, what I'd really like is for you to come back for a revival meeting. I said, oh, brother, no, I, I I think we're busy. <laughs> he said, well, I, I know some things are, are not quite right. As a matter of fact, there's some things that, that I don't really like. He said, but, hey, but these folks, are they know where I'm at, and, and they're willing to make some changes, and, and I want to get it going in a good direction. And, and I said, you know, okay, all right. If you want to, you're trying to get things moving in a, in a better direction, and, and they're with you, and... Uh, yeah, um, we'd be glad to come back. We'll do it. We'll help. Amen. So we set the date. And we came back. And things had moved in a different direction. The, the music pastor was gone, which was a blessing. Uh, because he just, he made me nervous. And, and so did his very, very masculine wife. She made me nervous too. And, and it was just, it was nerve wracking. But they had gone. And so that was fine. And, and they had, the praise team had quit praising. And that was a blessing. That was a blessing. And, and they were down in the congregation and everything was good. And, and everything just felt so much more comfortable. You know, it was good. Wasn't perfect, but it's good. Sunday, we were having lunch and, and he said, Brother Rogers, uh, now is there anything that you would do differently? When I first went into evangelism, my pastor said, it is not your job to fix every church you go into. He said, that's not what you're there for. He said, you go in and you preach the word of God and you make things better for the pastor than they were before you got there. So don't you go in and cause a bunch of trouble for some preacher somewhere. He said, if there's a problem or an issue, God will take care of that. It's not your job. And I have done my best to to follow that all these years. I really have. And so when he said, is there anything you would do differently? I said, brother, that is, that is none of my business. It doesn't matter what I think. It's not my church. I'm not going to have to give an account before God. It, no. Uh-uh. Hmm. Monday, we're having lunch. He said, brother Rogers, really, is there anything? Mm-mm. My lips are sealed. Finally, Wednesday night was the last night. So Wednesday, we're sitting at Chick-fil-A eating lunch. So you know it was the will of God. We're at Chick-fil-A. It's the most spiritual chicken you can get. And we're sitting there. And he said, all right, Brother Rogers. Now, if you were the pastor, would you do anything differently than we're doing? It's purely hypothetical. I'm just, I'm just curious. I, I want to I do things and... So is there anything at all? I thought, well, it is Wednesday. 
It's the last night. And so I broke my own rule. I said, well, I noticed that you have, you have scripture up above the, the platform. They had, it was like a, <clears throat> I don't know if it was a little screen or a board or something about that size, went all the way across the front. It was probably about the same width as your, as your auditorium. And, and they had up there scripture that was scrolling. And it was like a parchment background. And so it caught your attention when you sat down. Here's the Bible very slowly going and it drew your eyes and you're sitting there reading before the service. I said, I think that is a great idea. It's wonderful. People come in, sit down and automatically they're looking up there and they're reading the scripture. I said, that is wonderful. However, I noticed that it wasn't the King James Bible. I said, now, I was of the opinion, I, I thought, I just assumed that you were King James. I know the church you came from. And, and all, I was like, oh, Brother Rogers, bro, I, oh, I am, I am. I am strictly King James. I said, well, that, that was not. He said, but that's the only version it came in. I said, well, then, if I were the pastor, <laughs> I would take it down. Seems like a no-brainer to me. I mean, if I tell you the King James Bible is the Word of God, and then I put something else up on the wall for you to read, one of us is messed up. Somebody's confused. And so I said, I, I, I would just take it down. That's what I would do. And he wrote that down on a piece of paper. I thought, we're done now. We're done. That's it. And he said, is there anything else? And I should have just stopped right there. But I didn't. I said, I noticed on the bulletin board there was a poster for the dance class that's going to start in the Sunday school room next Saturday. I said, I would change that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> I was being very delicate. I really was. And he said, but, but this lady's been coming to the church and she has a dance studio in town. And I thought it'd be a good way to get her involved. If she wanted to teach some of the little girls how to dance, I thought if we'd let her do it here at the church, that'd get her involved and, and that'd be great. I said, I'd, I'd change that. I, I know what you're thinking because some of your kids and grandkids, I understand. I, I know what you're thinking. You old-fashioned fuddy-duddy, hate-monger. Well, let me explain to you why I would change that. You see, there are several reasons. First of all, they're probably not going to be dancing to Jesus Loves Me. I'm just guessing. So they're probably going to take these little girls and start exposing them to some more stuff that they really don't need to learn and they don't need to know and they'll be better off without. And then if they, if they have any natural aptitude, you know, well, they're only going to learn coordination. Well, get them a jump rope. It's worked for centuries. It really has. And it's cheap. Just get a jump rope. They can do amazing things. If they have any natural aptitude at all, what do they do after they're done with their lessons in the Sunday school room. Well, then they go to the dance studio in town. That's where they go. 
And I know they're not dancing to Jesus loves me over there. And what if they do well there? I mean, what if they really have some natural athletic ability and they do well? Well, then they go to the next level and the next level. Have you been to a parade lately? Next time there's a parade, you ought to go. And there will be, oh, if your town is of any size at all, there will be at least four or five dance studios and their kids out there, and they'll stop right in the middle of the street and do their routines for you. They will. I'm talking little girls dressed extremely inappropriately and doing stuff that nobody should do in public right out there in the street with who knows what kind of folks watching and everybody will stare at it and applaud. Really? Is that what we're going for? That's what's in every parade in every town. And if your kid's in that, that's what they're going to be doing. Is that re you really want to put them on display like that? Uh, I'm just asking. And what if they're really good? And they do really well. Well, then they move to the next level and the next level, and maybe they can make it all the way. Well, what would that be? Well, that would be somewhere in Hollywood or Las Vegas or New York. And do I even have to tell you what that life turns into very, very quickly? And by the way, it's not a long career. Because it all falls apart pretty quickly. And you get discarded for the next one. It's not, it's not a pretty ending. Is that really what we want to teach them in the Sunday school room downstairs? To develop that desire all the way down there? That I can someday be that? I hope not. Why not develop a desire all the way down there that someday I could surrender my life to God? Someday I could, I could maybe be on a mission field somewhere. Someday I could, I, could, I could be helping children. I could be helping families. I could be doing something for the cause of Christ someday. Which would you rather have? I really don't think it's a hard question. You see, if we develop a love for the things of the world early on, it's going to bear fruit down the road. And so Jesus said, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Why? Because God is mean and wants to spoil all your fun? No, because he loves you. And he doesn't want you to ruin yourself before you've ever had a chance to do what you could do. He loves you. And so if you'll just say, okay, I, I want to follow God. Okay, all my friends are doing that. They're all involved in it. Their parents don't care. Their church doesn't care. My parents are old fuddy-duddies who won't let me do it. You ought to thank God for that. Really, you ought to. Because that means somewhere along the line, they cared enough and loved you enough to risk you being mad at them by saying, no, you can't do that.
for the same reason God says it. Because I don't want you to ruin your life. I want it to be what it could be. Not a horrible mess that has to be rescued at the end. Aren't you glad God can rescue a horrible mess? But wouldn't it be better if he didn't have to? If you could just follow him. And that means you've got to be willing to submit yourself to Bible principle. And if it's developing a love for the world and the things of the world, then you should honestly, sincerely look at it and say, you know, I think I probably should just put that out of my life. I think I can live without that. I think I can. Amen? Amen. For the glory of God. Let's stand together and pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. We could be here tonight. Lord, I, I hope that we would honestly, sincerely just take stock of the things in our lives, all the things, everything, and do it every once in a while and see if there are things that are developing a love for the world instead of a love for God. See if there are things that are taking our thoughts in the direction of the world instead of the direction of God. See if there are things that are showing that we've taken back control of our lives instead of allowing you to be in control. And God, if those things are there, just give us the courage and the strength to say, okay, Lord, I need some help. I want to put that out of my life. God, just help me to do it. Give me strength today to put that away. Lord, I pray that you'd be honored and glorified in all of it. Lord, if there would be one here tonight who's never trusted Christ as Savior, I pray that they would understand that you are indeed the God that made them and created them and loves them enough to send your son to die for them. Lord, if they're here tonight without Christ, I pray they'd come get saved before it's too late. Well, thank you for all that you do in Jesus' name. Amen. With your head.